Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Are you ready? This is Food Pharmacy Podden. Yes, we are. In English. Yeah, finally. Uh, I mean, it's a bit awkward for us to speak English to each other since uh, since we speak every day in Swedish yeah. for 23 hours, yeah. more or less. Mm-hmm. But uh, since this uh, episode is an interview with uh, an English-speaking doctor, we thought we might as well talk to each other in English also. So we can invite all our English followers or English-speaking followers. Actually, exactly. listen to this episode. I mean, because this is a really interesting interview, if mm. I may say it. Mm. Uh, we've met uh, Mr. Doctor. Sorry, we met Doctor Rangan Chatterjee twice now, mm. and uh, the first time when he was here launching his first book in Swedish, and now we met him when he launched his uh, newly written book, who is called Stress Solution. Mm. And uh, it's an extremely well-written book, and I could recommend everyone to read it. Mm. And, of course, you can take the opportunity to listen to um, our first interview with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, too, after uh, listening to this episode. And, Sebe, can you tell us what number that episode is? Episode 69. So, let us introduce... Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Fact books. Dr. Rangan Chatterjee is a phenomenal doctor from the UK. He's often seen on TV and listened to on podcasts, both his own as well as guest visits to health-centered podcasts like Food Pharmacy. He frequently discusses the pillars of health, relaxation, diet, movement and sleep, and finding the balance between them. You can read more about this in his book The Four Pillar Plan, but today he'll be talking about his latest book called The Stress Solution. So, hi. Hey, Lena. <laughs> nice to see you again. Nice to see you. It feels like we were just here a few months ago. I, I know. Same room, same seats. Yeah. Is it a year ago? I think it was. I think I came end of January, start of February last year. So yeah, it must be yeah. exactly a year. Yeah. So you had a good year? I've had a very good year, thank you. Yeah, it's been busy, but it's been fun. Mm. And uh, lots of new experiences and lots of fun times with my family. So yeah, it's been a good year. Mm, That's nice. So how long time do we have today? To speak? Yeah. As long as you want. Okay. I mean, I feel we could spend a week together to just talk about this because when when, uh, I read your book, there are so many things I can relate to. And I guess that that goes for everyone since more or less we, we live in a quite stressed society. 
So I, I, my first question is, I would like to uh, for you to share a little bit of your own journey. Like, why did you write this book? Yeah, so I think a number of reasons, really. If you remember when I was here last time talking to you, I was talking about my my first book, Helso Balansen, which had just come out in Sweden, which was about the four core areas of health that I think have the most impact on how we feel, but also we've got a fair degree of control over, which I think is important. You know, what can we actually control in our health? Because there's many things out there we can't control. Food, movement, which people have been knowing for years, but equally important, sleep and relaxation, which is about the stress. And it was quite clear to me that what people were asking me, whether it's patients or readers of my first book, people kept asking me, you know, I struggle with stress. I struggle with stress. You know, they might be able to change their diet, but they think stress is something that they just can't tackle. And if I'm honest in, with myself, I think they often say that authors write the books that they need for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd have to say in this case, it was very, very true because out of those four what I call pillars of health that I've just mentioned, the one I struggle with the most is stress. Mm. And, you know, if you if you look at what is going on and what people are saying about stress, the World Health Organization say that stress is the health epidemic of the 21st century. Mm. That's an alarming statement from such a big uh, organization. They're not saying that about diet or physical inactivity or sleep deprivation, although those things are clearly problematic They're saying that about stress. Mm. And I wanted to give stress the airtime and attention that it deserves, which is why I wrote the book. I thought, you know, there's loads of books on nutrition, which is great. And there needs to be. There's loads of books on moving more uh, and how you can work out more and get out and do different things. Again, I'm not against those things. But for me, it was a case of what can I contribute here that's going to really make people stand up and take notice that stress is everywhere in the 21st century. Stress is having a harmful effect on every single organ system in the body. But importantly, I provide lots of simple solutions for people. I don't want to just say, hey, this is a big problem. You know, isn't 21st century living really, really stressy? Well, yes, it is. But I don't want to scare people. And that's why I hope I've written a very positive and inspiring book where people can go, oh, I get it. So I can do these simple things each day that don't take much time, that don't cost any money. It's going to help me feel better. So that's a bit of an overview of why I wrote that book mm. um, and, and why I'm so excited that it's coming out here in Sweden. Mm. I mean, it is very positive and I can actually recommend uh, everyone to get it because it's. Uh, I think that uh, it helps you to uh, get, I mean, to reflect if you live the life you wanted to live, if you're content with your surrounding. And I, I found it a very good book. You also write that 80% more or less of uh, all patients are uh, have stress-related symptoms. And that's why they actually come to the doctor. In Sweden, yeah. it's very common that people are outburned yeah. and they are on sick leave because they feel like mentally uh, drained. I, this is a universal problem. Look, this um, bit of research came from the Journal of the American Medical Association in, I think, 2013. And they said between 70 and 90% of all problems that come and see a GP or a primary care doctor are in some way related to stress. Mm. That's a remarkable statistic. Yeah. 
And you know, what do we see as doctors? We see things uh, which seem quite unrelated, like um, you know, fatigue, insomnia, anxiety, depression, gut problems, mental health problems, inability to concentrate, hormonal problems, even things like type two diabetes and high blood pressure. All of these symptoms can seem quite unrelated, but all of them at their root cause can have stress as a big, big driver. Now, Lena, it might be helpful to sort of um, explain to your listeners what the stress response is, what it's there to do. Would that be okay? Yeah, of course. That yeah. is one of my questions. So go ahead. So if we think back, you know, we're humans, right? So mm. about two million years ago, when we were evolving mm. and our stress response was evolving, because it's the same stress response that we had then that we have now, mm. it evolved to keep us safe. Right. So let's imagine two million years ago, we are in our hunter-gatherer community. We're in our tribe. And let's say there's an animal approaching, a wild predator. Mm. In an instant, our body becomes stressed and a series of changes take place in your body, which are preparing you to keep you safe. Right. So what are those things? Well, your blood sugar starts to rise so you can run faster. Your blood pressure starts to go up so more fuel can get to your brain. A part of your brain called the amygdala goes onto high alert, right? That means you're hypervigilant for all sounds and noises around you. That's an appropriate response to a short-term stressor, mm. right? The problem is, is that in the 21st century, many of us are having our stress responses activated, not to wild predators, but to our daily lives, to our email inboxes, to our competing demands at work and home life, two parents working, people trying to rush back to pick the kids up, elderly parents who may have to look after, three social media channels we're trying to keep up to date with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So for many of us, that stress response that was there to protect us is now being activated every day. So what happens? Those responses that are really helpful in the short term, your blood sugar rising, right? If that's happening every day to your life, that's going to cause fatigue, weight gain, and ultimately high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes just from stress. Your blood pressure going up in the short term is fine. If you go to the gym and go for a spinning class, your blood pressure will go up. That's an appropriate response to a short-term stressor. But if it's happening day in, day out, that's what increases the risk of you getting ill and disease later. Mm. But what about that um, part of the brain I said, the amygdala, mm. where you go into high alert, right? That's a really interesting one because you want that to happen if you are in danger. If you're walking down a dark street at night and you think someone is following you, you want to be on high alert. You want to be hypervigilant to all the noises around you. It's going to keep you safe. Mm. But if that's happening every day to your email inbox, that's what we call anxiety. Yeah. You, you, I mean, I would love you to uh, uh, tell the story for the listeners about, uh, in the book you write about, uh, I think her name is Alexandra, and you describe her morning, but you, you stop after 11 minutes. You were supposed to describe an hour of her morning, but after 11 minutes, you realize that she got mm. 21 micro stress doses. Yeah. So what what is this, and how could uh, how could a like morning of full of stress look like? Yeah, I think it's a great question, and I think it's the simplest way to explain to people why stress is problematic. So I start the book like this: you, I, I split up stress into micro doses, 
and macrodoses. So macrodoses are the big things like, you know, like a bereavement, uh, a divorce, um, you know, some sort of really traumatic instance in your life. That is, you know, uh, those things can be helped by this book for sure, but that isn't what I'm talking about here. Those are macro stress doses as compared to what I call micro stress doses, which are mini hits of stress. And the short form for that is what I call MSDs, okay? So these little hits of stress that in isolation we can handle, but when they, too many of them, and in too prolonged a dose, they start to become problematic, right? Mm. So uh, this patient you're you're talking about, this Alexandra, this is the exact story. And before I go into it, I just want people to understand that we've all got our own personal stress threshold. And that will vary from day to day, depending on what you've got going on in your life. But the point is, if your stress doses stay under your threshold, that's okay. You can cope. You can get on with life. But when those stress doses get you beyond your threshold or close to it, that's when things start to go wrong. Your neck might hurt. Your back might go. You might have a row with your partner or, you know, you might have a get annoyed with your work colleague or someone on the road who sort of cuts you up, you might get agitated because you're near your threshold, right? So I give a typical example of Alexandra who, you know, maybe came home late the night before and she was working, she was stressed out, so she didn't want to go to bed. She wanted to unwind, watch some Netflix and just sort of relax in the evening with a glass of wine, okay? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but often people will go to bed late because they want a bit of time to unwind from the stresses of the day in the evening. Now, let's say she goes to bed at half past 11. And the following morning, her alarm goes off at 6.30 in the morning. Okay, so she's in a deep sleep. Her alarm goes off at 6.30. That is micro stress dose number one, because that's jolting you from your sleep. And then she thinks, "Ah, you know what, I'm still tired. She puts it on snooze for six minutes. Right, six minutes later, the alarm comes on again. Oh, you know, I need to get up. Micro stress dose number two. Then she thinks, okay, look, uh, I'm still tired. I'm just going to have a quick look. And she goes onto Facebook or Instagram and sees that somebody was actually rude about her last post. And so she gets a bit annoyed. Micro stress dose number three. Mm. And then she thinks, oh, let me just quickly check my email. She goes to her email inbox and sees, oh, there were th- three work emails from yesterday I didn't do. Oh, I'm going to have to do that today. Micro stress dose number four. Then she looks at the time and realizes, oh my God, I've been in bed for like the last 20 minutes doing nothing. And now I'm going to be late for work. I need to get up. Micro stress dose number five. And I could keep going. But the point I'm trying to make is for many of us, before we've even left the house in the morning, we've exposed ourselves to 10 or 15 micro stress doses already. Now, in isolation, those micro stress doses are easy to handle. But when you put one on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other, you get closer and closer to your stress threshold, which means if you've had 15 micro stress doses before you leave the house in the morning, that means it's going to take less stress in the day to tip you over. Just a few more hits of stress in the day are going to cause you to feel anxious, stressed out, angry, agitated, you know, shout at your kids, shout at your partner, shout at your boss, right? That's what happens when you're at your threshold. And we all know that feeling, Lena. We know Mm. that feeling when we feel calm and we feel we've had a stress-free morning. And if someone's a bit rude to us, you know, we can handle it. We don't react. We're like, hey, that's they're having a bad day. Okay, cool. But when you're at your threshold, then it agitates you. You know, what have I done to them? Why have they mm. been rude to me? Mm. And I think it's a very useful way of people to suddenly look at stress in a new way and go, oh, I get it now. 
It's all these micro stress doses. So for me, the book and my approach in general is about how do you reduce the amount of micro stress doses you have in your life, but also even if you can't sometimes, right? Because you can't always. It's about giving simple solutions to people that are going to help reduce how much stress they feel. And that's a really key point. Even if you can't change the stress in someone's life, you can help them change their response to it. Mm. I think it's a really important concept because some people will say, and people have said, you know, oh, Dr. Ash, you don't understand. My life is really, really stressful. I've got lots and lots of things to do. I don't have time. I don't have this. I understand that. But these things that I recommend don't take much time and they help make you more resilient to the stress that you are facing. I think it's um, uh, you have divided your book into four parts, which is um, I've read it in Swedish. But if I um, translate them, it's basically a pur- the purpose, our relations, our body, and our mind. And um, you say yourself that the first part of the book, which is uh, basically the purpose of your life, it's to you the most important part of the book and that's I I feel the same because I also feel that this is the part I've struggled with in my life because we're so raised in a society where being efficient and being productive and perform it's seen as as long as you do that you're fine yeah but then I, I I remember I told you last time that I felt when I all of a sudden when I was an adult, I felt I've done everything according to the book. I am well-educated. I have a good job. I'm married. I have children. I have friends. But still, I'm not satisfied. Uh, And so therefore, I think think we should start with this number one pillar in your book. And, uh, And you start with affirmations. Yeah. So would you like to start talking about your morning routine or do you want to go through these different uh, things? Well, I, I just want to sort of touch, first of all, what you just said, Lena, which is so common, right? It's so common, particularly in these kind of, you know, you live in Stockholm, I live in the UK, you know, these urbanized sort of well-developed um, capitalist societies where it's about economics and, you know, earning good money and you know having a nice house and all those sort of things. But for many people who've ticked all those boxes, they're missing something inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, mental health rates of anxiety and depression are literally exploding everywhere at the moment. I don't know the exact rates in Sweden, but I tell you in the UK. It's huge. Yeah. In the UK, one in four people, one in four adults in any given year are going to be diagnosed with a mental health problem. Oh my God. 25% yeah. of the population. Now, there's many factors at play here, for, of course. But the research on meaning and purpose is really, really clear. You know, people who have a strong sense of meaning and purpose in their lives uh, do better. They're healthier. They're happier. They're more productive. Mm. And actually, I go as far as saying, if you don't have meaning and purpose in your life, that is an inherently stressful life. Mm. Now, you've got to be careful how you say this, because if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, that sounds great, but I don't like my job but I need to do my job because it pays the mortgage and it pays for food on the table. 
it's all very well you talking about meaning and purpose, but how the hell am I going to do that? Right? I understand that. So uh, I've created a framework in the book to help people find their meaning and purpose. Now, some people may have heard of the Japanese concepts of ikigai. I don't know if you guys have come across I it. I hadn't, but when I read what it was about, I felt like this is what we practice and try to practice. Yeah, it, it is amazing. Like I saw it on a Facebook meme about six, seven years ago. And it's it's a Japanese idea that um, what you're looking for is life is something that fits four criteria. Something that you're good at, something that you love, something that the world needs, and something that pays you money. And I remember reading it for the first time thinking, oh, wow, you know, I'd love to have Ikigai in my life. And the problem with it is, I love it, right? And I feel I'm very lucky. I feel um, I have found my Ikigai, if I'm honest. And I think, you know, my father dying six and a half, well, almost seven years ago now, that was a massive turning point for me to actually confront my life and start following my passion, not doing what society wants me to do, but doing what I want to do. Um, but it's really interesting that the Japanese concepts of Ikigai, I would talk about it with my patients and a lot of people would say, look, I, I, I get it, but I can't do that. You know, I've, I've, got, I've got my kids to feed. I don't like my job, but I have to do it. Mm. And actually, I was giving a talk in London last year as part of the book tour for this, um, for, for this book. And it's amazing. At the end of the talk, in the Q&A, this Japanese student put her hand up. She's a 20-year-old Japanese student in London. And she said to me, Dr. Chastity, you know, you mentioned Ikigai. Actually, I have found it oppression my entire life. It feels like an unattainable ideal to live up to. Mm. And it's really interesting because that's why I, I love Ikigai as a concept, but I try to create a simpler framework for people that would be more practical and achievable. I call it the LIVE framework, L-I-V-E. L is for love, I is for intention, V is for vision, and E is about doing something that forces you to engage with other people, right? It's really simple. We probably could probably just talk about the LIVE framework for like five hours, but can I take one component of that the first yes, one of course i think you could take all of them uh yeah it's because just, it's uh, it's so uh, it, it is important, important but the, the one i think really has you know very simple to explain for people is the first one love right the live framework is about you don't have to get everything you don't have to find one thing that does all of these things right the live framework is saying do something each day that you love right now if you don't like your job fine do it outside work but you need something that you love because the research is very clear. Regularly doing something that you love makes you more resilient to stress. But it works the other way too. Chronically being stressed all the time makes it harder for you to experience pleasure in day-to-day -day things. So it's a vicious cycle. So you really need to give yourself regular, what I say, doses of pleasure, things that you love. I'll give you an example. Um, I saw a patient, this 53-year-old chap, He was, you know, very senior in a company, had a very, you know, good position, good money. Uh, you know, he, 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 from the outside, he had ticked all society's boxes, mm. married, two kids. Now he came in to see me and he said, Dr. Shasta, you know, some days I really struggle to, um, to get motivated in the morning and get going. Um, you know, I, I sort of lie there in bed sometimes. I feel quite indifferent about most things. And sometimes I just feel quite low. I can't sleep very well. You know, is this what depression is? And so I thought, okay, let me find out what's going on here. So I had a long chat with him. I said, look, you know, what's going on in your life? You know, you're married. How's your marriage? 
She said, yeah, so-so. I don't really see my wife much, but yeah, things are fine. I said, what about your job? Do you enjoy your job? He says, look, doc, I don't really enjoy my job. It's just what I need to do because I've got a mortgage and I've got a family. Um, I said, your kids? He goes, yeah, kids are great. I don't really see them much. I'm busy. Um, I said, okay, okay. Um, Do you have any hobbies? He said, hobbies? Dr. Chastity, I don't have time for hobbies. I said, what about the weekends? Weekends, you know, I've got to do the housework. I've got to take the kids to their classes. I don't have any time. I said, okay, did you ever have any hobbies? He said, yeah, you know, as as a kid, as a teenager, I used to love playing with train sets. I said, okay, do you have a train set at home? He says, yeah, I've got one, but it's in my attic. I haven't seen it in years. I said, okay, what I'd love you to do tonight when you get home is get your train set out. Now, Lena, I appreciate it's not the advice you might be expecting from your doctor. No, okay? <laughs> certainly not. But uh, that was the advice I gave them. And just for anyone listening, I did do all the other things that were required of me as a doctor. I didn't feel that I'd missed anything out. I had a long conversation with him. But the main advice I gave him was to get his train set out and start playing with it. Right. I didn't see him then for a few months, which is not uncommon as a doctor. Not everyone comes back. You can't follow up every patient. Three months later, after my morning surgery, my morning clinic, I was in the car park. I bumped into his wife. I said, hey, look, how's your husband getting on? And she said, she had a big smile on her face. A doctor's strategy. He's like a different person. I feel like I've got the guy I married back again. He comes home from work. Then he starts to play around on his train set. He's always on eBay trying to find old collector's items. And now he's subscribed to a monthly magazine on trains. I said, okay, cool. So it made me happy. I thought, okay, great. But I still hadn't seen him. Another three months later, he came in to see me. He had some blood tests. He wanted to come and go through the results. And I said, hey, how are you getting on? He said, Dr. Chachi, I feel like a different person. Um, life feels great, right? I feel like I've got my mojo back. I'm happy. I said, how's your job? So job, really enjoying my job now, actually getting a lot more out of it. Your relationship with your wife? Yeah, brilliant. Things are going really, really well. And what's really interesting for me is that his wife and him have shown a big, they both express that he's like a different person, you know, and he's still doing well today. He's thriving today. So the question I have for, for your listeners is, did he have a mental health problem, right? Or did he have a deficiency of passion in his life? And when he corrected his passion deficiency, not only does that make him feel better, but his relationship's better now. His work that he wasn't enjoying before, now he's enjoying it. And I see this a lot. It's about, for me, trying to get to the root cause of problems. So for him, and I'm not saying this works in every case, but I want people to give a regular daily dose of passion the same priority as they would give the amount of fruit and vegetable on their plate, or whether they've gone for a workout, right? I want us to look at pleasure and passion in the same way, because the whole conversation about health has become far too reductionist. We just talk about food and movement as if they're the only two things that matter. Of course, they're very important, but health is so much more than that. And that's why I want to, you know, that's kind of what I do in the book. I talk about all these other things. Sure, I talk about food and the gut-brain axis and how it affects your mood, I talk about movement and the various movements and exercises you can do to help you burn off the stress in your body. But I also talk about passion. I talk about breathing. I talk about meditation. I talk about nature. I talk about, as you said, affirmations. Um, You know, I talk about morning routines. I mean, you asked me about morning routine. Mm -hmm. Can I share my my sort of tips for morning routine? Please, please. So 
If we think about that case of Alexandra and the fact that she is leaving the house with maybe 10 or 15 micro stress doses every day. And one of the best ways you can reduce that is to have a morning routine. Now, some people are going to listen and say, oh, you know, I've heard about morning routines. I don't have time to do a morning routine. Okay, I've got patients who even do them for five minutes, right? You can make it five minutes, you can make it an hour, depending on what you've got, right? But I think a morning routine should have three components and a couple of yoga stretches, yoga poses, right? It doesn't take more than a few minutes, but it just gets my body movement, uh, sorry, my body moving. And then the final M is called mindset. Now, I love mindset. Mindset is about getting yourself in the right frame of mind for the day ahead. So it could be reading a book for a few pages, like a positive book that you really enjoy that makes you feel good. I have a few at home just there and I just pick one out and I'll read a few pages with a cup of tea, maybe just for five minutes. No, I don't mean an hour, just for a few minutes. Now, I've I've got an alternative in mindset as well, which is affirmations. Now, what happens is that my daughter is seven years old. Now, I try and get up before my kids to do my morning routine before they wake up. I love having that time to myself, but she has a sixth sense. She knows when daddy is up and downstairs. Mm -hmm. And normally halfway in, she creeps down the stairs and she finds me with a big smile on her face. So daddy, you're doing your routine. Um, And the old me would have got slightly frustrated that I can't have that time to myself, but now I accept it for what it is. So she's normally down for the second end, which is movement. So she just joins me and she does her little few poses with me. That's so nice. And then if she's down, I can't really read. So we do affirmations for the mindset M. And, you know, an affirmation is basically a short, positive statement in the present tense. And we know from research that if, if you feed your brain positive information, it changes how you interact throughout the day. Mm. You know, university students who did affirmations before their studies perform better. It's a really great trial. And I think the US Army and Navy SEALs also use affirmation. So this stuff all works, right? So if she's down, what we do, we hold hands. And for two minutes, we say together, I'm happy, I'm calm, I'm stress-free. I'm happy, I'm calm, I'm stress-free. And we say that for two minutes. And at the end of it, she's got a big smile on her face. I've got a big smile on my face. And you know, yes, I've done that for myself. I also like to think that I'm modeling the right behavior for her growing up. I hope as she gets older and becomes a teenager, I hope at some point she thinks, hey, you know, daddy does this sort of morning routine every morning. Maybe I should do a little bit like that as well. But I can tell you, if I, I, I've gone through phases where I don't do my morning routine and it is noticeable. The days when I do it, I'm a different person throughout the whole day. I'm calmer. I'm less stressed. I'm more resilient. When I wake up and I think, oh, I haven't got time for that today. I need to get to my emails. I've got loads to do, right? I am not as productive. I start to get agitated. I start to get resentful throughout the day. So for me, I know that giving myself 15 minutes every morning makes the rest of my day a lot better. Mm. But I've got a patient, right, who says it's single mum. He says to the doc, I don't have time for this stuff. And what we agreed, and she's now got a five-minute morning routine. So what she does, for the first minute when she wakes up, she does one minute of deep breathing. Now, I've got a, a breathing exercise in the book called the three, four, five breath, where you breathe in for three, you hold for four, and you breathe out for five. And she does that for a minute. So she does about five or six of those breaths. Really calms you down. Because anytime your out breath is longer than your in breath, 
you help to switch off the stress response in your body and promote the relaxation response. Mm. Right? So she does one minute of that. Then she does two minutes of the sun salutation yoga sequence that she has learned in a yoga class. Right? So for two minutes, she just does some of those moves. And then for the final two minutes, she just reads. She's got a series of three books there and she just picks one and reads just a few pages. And actually she suffered from really bad eczema, so a skin condition. And since she started doing it, that's almost gone away because I felt it was stress that was driving a lot of her eczema flares. Mm. And since she started doing that, she's a lot less stressed. Mm. So my challenge to everyone listening to this podcast right now is think about your own life. Think about those three M's and just think, could you even from tomorrow morning start your day with five minutes covering those three M's and try it for a week and just see the difference. See the difference on your focus in the day. See the difference in how you feel about yourself. See the difference in how your relationships are with your partner, with your colleagues, with your children. And just see if after a week you're not feeling any better, fine, throw it out. But my bet would be if you do this, you're going to feel like a different person. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you talk about this, you also write about uh, scheduling your day. And that, to me, was, uh, that was a very important part because I, I think the common um, the common uh, response from someone who's stressed is what the mother told you I don't have time yeah I'm so stressed and then you you write uh, you you bring up an example when your wife is on maternity leave and uh, she was uh, very efficient before she got children but when yeah. she got uh, when she was on maternity leave she felt she couldn't do anything yeah. and everything was uh, you know a stressful And uh, I think everyone that has been at home with young children can relate to that. But then she started to schedule her day. Yeah, it's incredible. I do talk about that in the book. And I think, look, I don't know if it's the same here in Scandinavia, in Sweden, as it is in the UK. Our perception in the UK of, of, of Sweden and, and also Norway is that 
you guys are much more um, supportive of maternity and paternity leave than yeah, we, are we are in the UK, which is great to hear. But I'll tell you what happens in the UK, and you can share with me if it's the same here, but I, it's a particular problem with women. Like women, I think I think women have got really tough these days because they're literally, you know, the world has changed so much in the last 20 years in a good way. You know, women are now... Um, you know, able to do the same jobs as men and have a lot of the opportunities that they were never allowed to have in the past, which is fantastic. But at the same time, I think there's added pressure because when often there's kids there, often it is the mums who are taking time off from their career. Uh, They're taking a pause. And they also then on social media see like these famous women who are on TV with a great husband and they're also, you know, uh, able to maintain a really good body and, um, you know, work hard, but also spend time with the kids and with beautiful home cooked meals. And it's like this real pressure on I am inferior. I can't live up to that standard that I'm seeing all around me. Is this something that's going on here as well? I mean, I could say that almost all of my friend could uh, relate to that. So, yes. Yeah. So this is just a a very common problem and I'm not saying guys don't have it in any way at all but I just see it more in women and I've got to be careful because I'm a man so I'm not trying to pretend that I understand that the issues Mm -hmm. women are going through but with my own wife she was very much feeling this and she felt like by the time I'd come home from work once she'd fed you know I think it was my son at the time and done all the various bits at home like I think she felt worthless that she hadn't actually done anything and she tried scheduling. So she would literally schedule her whole day by the minute. And it sounds ridiculous, but she would schedule, okay, um, you know, feed my son, drop him at nursery, uh, come home, 10 minutes, do emails, uh, 20 minutes, go for a walk, um, you know, 20 minutes, do the ironing and the laundry, 40 minutes, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It sounds ridiculous. But I tell you, it completely changed her life because by scheduling it, everything that was important got done. And she also scheduled her free time. So she had more time to go out but and she would go out for a long walk. But she would also feel, oh, I've done all the things I need to do. Now I've got time for a walk. Whereas when you don't schedule, it all stays in your head. You always feel as though you've never done enough. And that's the other thing for all of us these days, whether you're a stay-at-home mum or not, our to-do lists are never done. No. Right. If they are never done because you'll be doing it and another email will have come in. Mm. Right. And so the point is you have to create your own boundaries. Otherwise, you will constantly feel as though you don't have enough or you've not done enough or you've you've got much more to do. So scheduling works for her. Now, with my approach is always about giving people options. Right. If someone's listening to this and they think that's not for me, fine, don't do it. Don't do it. Choose the ones that are for you. But again, if you've never tried it, I would challenge you to try it. And there's a there's quite a few women who've who've contacted me on Instagram since this book came out in the UK a year ago and said, A, the book has helped them completely get rid of their anxiety and depression, which is just amazing. But quite a few women have actually said, Dr. Chashi, I didn't really know about scheduling. I've tried it and it's completely changed my life. Like I really feel as though I get stuff done every day and I have enough time for myself. And a general point for people, um, you know, really nice thing for people to do if they feel they've got a lot of work on is at the start of the day, maybe as part of your morning routine, maybe straight afterwards, is to write down what are the three most important things I need to do today? Three most important things, right? And you write them down. 
And then your job throughout the day is to make sure you've done those three things. If you have done those three things and tick them off, you have won the day, right? Mm. Even if there's another 10 things you've not done, because as I say, your to-do list will never, ever be done. Mm. So it's just a simple tip to go. I do use this a lot. You know, I'm on a book tour at the moment. I've been around the UK. Then I went to Scotland. I was in uh, Norway yesterday where Helso Balansen has just come out. Oh, uh, So I was talking about that in Norway yesterday. And now I've arrived in Stockholm for two days for Stress Balansen, which is which is great. But I could feel, as oh my God, there's this to do and this to do and that to do. So I write, you know, three things that I need to do. I don't do it every day, but the days I do it, I feel very satisfied with myself because at the end of the day, I can go, oh, I've done those, mm. you know, and tomorrow I'll do the next three. Um, so anyway, these are just, I'm trying to give useful tips for people that yeah. are hopefully some of your listeners will find them useful. I, I think you give give very many good tip and I would like to add something to what you say because you say, if you don't think this is for you, well, then don't do it or try. And then uh, if it's not for you, don't do it. I think that we have often, or I, I can feel it myself, I've had a perception of that something isn't for me. Yeah. Talk about affirmation, or you are talking about reconstructing a situation. Those are things that I have heard about. I, I've read, uh, I mean, when you read religion, it's basically yeah. about about that, reconstructing your situation. But I, I'd never tried it until a few years ago. And I feel that if someone had really pushed me to try it when I was younger, it would have helped. So I think that, yes, you're right and you don't need to uh, you don't need to do it if it's not for you. But I think also that I would like to say that we often have a perception of ourselves and what is for us and not. And when you come into a negative state of mind, You think that, oh, yeah, 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 I don't have time or that's not for me or it's it's easy for him to say he's so successful, blah, blah, blah. You you always find excuses. So therefore, I think that um, uh, the first part of your book, I would actually say that if someone is listening to this and feeling really stressed, I would say even if you think it's garbage, yeah. you might think this sounds weird. I mean, should I say every day to myself, I'm calm and I'm happy, I'm stress-free? But I'm not, then I'm lying. I can't do it, you know, things like you, that. You, Lena, Just you, try. Yeah, yeah, this is such a good point. Like, I'm always trying to accommodate people and say, guys, look, I'm not trying to force anyone to do anything. I'm trying to share information that hopefully inspires people. But I would agree with you. Try something for at least seven days before you write it off. And another way, like affirmations, a lot of people associate them with religions. Let's associate a different way. Athletes, top sportsmen. Exactly. What did they do before they perform? Mm. They do affirmations. Mm. They visualize. If it's good enough for these top um, golfers and swimmers and Olympic athletes, what's well, good enough for us? Mm. They're looking for high performance in their sport. We're looking for high performance in our lives, mm. right? It's the same thing. They just want to compete in their sport. We want to compete in our life. We want to be. The best husband, the best wife, the best colleague, the best mother, the best father, the best version of who we can be. And if they're using one minute of affirmations and visualization to program their brain for success, what, we think we're better than them, that we don't need to do that? No, it's a basic human uh, tenet. We need to do this stuff. And and I would give it a go Mm. and say it for a minute as if you mean it, right? Mm. And see what happens. And it really can be quite incredible. As I said, there is some really good research on what it actually does. As I said, students perform better 
when they've done an affirmation before their exam, mm. right? So if you've got kids or teenage teenagers doing exams, it might be something you want to do with them. And you see what I say, I do it with my daughter, mm. right? So I may, I don't make my suggestions in any of my books separate from the family. Like, of course, there's some things we like to do for ourselves, but you know what? I have got young kids and they're going to be there at the moment. In 10 years, they won't be. So why don't I enjoy it while they're there and include them in it with me? Mm. That's a very valid point, I think, because that's the hardest thing to get everything uh, go together. But I think to bring your children on your own journey, it's uh, it's wonderful yeah. because you're also talking about um, how how uh, I think we are in a way in a paradigm shift. Do you say paradigm shift? Yeah, we say paradigm shift. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, paradigm shift. Uh, and I think that if we can teach the children of today what we weren't taught that uh, you should uh, basically uh, construct your life in in your fantasy and what you want to do then then it's much more easier to uh, to work towards that goal than to uh, work towards a goal external goal outside of you do you yeah. get me a hundred percent and mm. and you know instead of our kids getting to our age, right? And then having to go, oh, I'm missing something in my life. I need to figure all this stuff out. Wouldn't it be lovely if they learn this stuff at school as kids yeah. and they actually start living their life with these principles? So they don't have to unlearn the sort of stuff we're trying to unlearn now. Um, I, I think it would be lovely. And, you know, certainly, look, I think every parent is trying to do the best that they can for their children based upon their knowledge and their lifestyle. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I'm like every other parent, I'm trying to do my best. But I like to think that by including them in this sort of stuff, um, it really helps. You know, and like, like my son is nine. Uh, sometimes he'll be there. And if he doesn't want to get involved, I won't force him. I'll say, okay, that's fine. But daddy needs a bit of quiet while he's doing this. You can sit in here with me, but uh, don't disturb me while I'm doing it. So sometimes he'll be there and he'll read whilst I'm doing some of this, or he'll, you know, draw or something. And then after a few days, he might just start joining in sometimes. So, you know, I get it. Like not everyone's children are going to be receptive. That's okay. But it's about creating a bit of respect and me saying to my son, hey, look, this is really important for daddy. When daddy does this, he's happier. He's a lot calmer throughout the day. So if you just let daddy for another 10 minutes finish off his routine, that'll be great. Um, and it teaches him a bit of respect that, hey, you know, I need to give my dad a bit of time to finish this off. And he can be in the room with me. Mm. And then I, I often find after a few days he wants to join in. Mm. So that's certainly the way I, I, I approach it with my family. Mm. I think about uh, talking about children in the book, you write about a saying uh, from Picasso. I think it was that uh, when as a child, everyone is an artist. The hard thing is to stay an artist when you become old. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think that uh, that is what this uh, first, do you call it pillar? First pillar? No, this uh, is yeah, about this I guess first the first part. section, yeah. the first part, first section, yeah. It's basically about to get to feel inside. Okay. And this uh, patience you had with the train station, it's a wonderful example of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's so important. And I get, you know, I think, I just hope everyone listening to this thinks about when was the last time I did something that I really love, that I'd done for me, mm. not for my husband or my children or for my colleagues? When did I do something for me? Mm. If it's not recently, fine. 
but make a date in the diary for you to do something. Mm. But then a really simple practical tip is just five minutes a day doing something you love. Mm. Five minutes. Mm. Right? It could be a walk, listening to music, reading a book. It could be going on YouTube and finding your favorite comedian and laughing for five minutes. doesn't matter. But this little daily hit of pleasure makes you much more resilient to stress and makes you feel better. Mm. Before moving on to the other parts, I would like just to ask you, Because I really like the part of reconstructing a situation. And I think that is what most of us are struggling with. That even how good of life we have, it's uh, so easy to focus on the negative parts. And maybe if someone, you say, if someone is listening and thinking, well, I can't find that ikigai in my life. I'm just working because I need the salary. You have a very good example in the book of someone who's driving. I think he's a a chauffeur, a bus chauffeur or something. And you write that when he started to reconstruct his mind state about the situation, he actually felt that his job had a big purpose. Yeah, I mean, we can all find purpose in what we do. It's just, can we spend time reflecting on our life? And you can have... You know, you could have this case, you could have like, what do you call them here? Um, We call them sort of refuge collectors, the bins outside your house, people who sort of collect them and put Mm. them into the truck. Mm. You know, I had a patient like that once who sort of, you know, was quite frustrated over various things, but you can reframe that. Um, I call it the three P's in the book, person, pleasure and promise um, as a way to try and guide people. But for him, it was a case of saying, okay, look, I do this job because it allows me, you know, like he didn't really enjoy his job initially. And he's like, oh, I need to do it. Well, you know, I don't really like it. I can't wait for the weekends when I'm not working, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he would say, look, um, we, I helped him understand that, first of all, for himself, he'd be like, okay, so I'm lucky to have a job because without that, I wouldn't be able to feed my kids and my family and put a roof over our head. He's like, okay, cool. Yeah, I get that. That's I am because some people actually don't have a job. Um and pleasure. I enjoy uh, doing, what do I enjoy about it? Well, actually, I like some of the guys I do it with. So we get to go around and actually we get to have a bit of a chat and catch up on the football and things like that. So he's like, okay, so I get a bit of bonding. Instead of looking at all the negatives, he's looking at the positives of it. Mm. But then you can take this up a few steps further. And he's then like, um, okay, this is important because if I didn't exist and no one did this job, There'd be a lot of rubbish in society and that rubbish would spill out. The streets would be dirty. Um, It wouldn't be a nice environment for anyone to walk in. So actually my job is really, really important to help keep the neighborhood clean, to help keep society functioning. It sounds so simple, Lena, Mm. right? But that patient, it completely changed his mood and how he felt about his life. Mm. And that's what I call a ripple effect. It, It rippled into other areas of his life. I mean, that's one example. There are so many case studies in the book of things. I've tried to bring it to life mm. for people. There's also a nice practice called reframing the day, which is this whole idea. Of a some... Reframing, I was talking about. I didn't know the word in English. Hey, uh, I said okay. reconstructing, but no, reframing. No. Yeah. yeah, but if something has um, not gone well mm. in the day, let's say, let's say you're at work, right? Mm. So let's say someone's in work and you walk past your boss in the corridor and you thought he gave you like a, he didn't say hi and gave you a bit of a, a stare, right? And in your head, you thought, oh my God, 
um, have I done something wrong? You know, am I going to get fired? You know, what's, you know, we start to make up a story in our heads mm. and that can stay with us all day. But in the evening, you could do a little reframing practice. Okay. Okay. Pick one incident. Okay. I didn't like that incident with my boss. Um, what happened? Oh, okay. So what could have happened? Well, maybe it had nothing to do with me. Maybe he was just having a bad day. Maybe his uh, daughter was up in the night with a cold and he was exhausted and he was just trying to get through the day. Uh, There's there's all kinds of tips on how you can reframe an incident to make it feel better. Or, you know, let's say someone, um, I don't know if this phrase works in Sweden, but if someone, you're on the road driving and someone cuts you up so they come out in front Mm -hmm. of you, which a lot of people find very agitating. Mm -hmm. And instead of reacting, you could be like, okay, maybe that person's late for work. And maybe that person's, you know, what got real financial pressures and he's worried that if he doesn't get to work on time, he's going to get fired. If you if you look at life like that, suddenly you free yourself up. You don't get as agitated. You start to have a deep sense of compassion and understanding. And yeah, maybe those aren't the two best examples, but I think they sort of help to illustrate the point that you can reframe negative instance in the day. You really can. And it can... You know, there's a lot of exercises. There's a lot of research on what reframing does. It can help you sleep better. It can help improve your moods. It can help you lower your stress levels and feel calmer. It's these little things. And look, like all of these things, they're free, right? It doesn't take much time. It could be literally just before you go to bed each night. For five minutes, you could literally in a pad go, okay, which instant from today am I going to reframe? Um, and, I, you know, in the book, there's lots of little tips on how you do it to really help people not feel that it's actually something that they should be scared of, but something that's quite an enjoyable practice to do. I think also that it helps you to uh, not become a victim of your life, but to become the one in charge of your life. And that's a nice feeling. And that gives you uh, like a feeling of bigger control, which uh, might reduce the stress in a long way. Yeah, Le- long Lena, uh, absolutely. And I've got to say, look, I've been seeing patients for almost 20 years now. And I'd say one of the most important things for any individual is to feel a sense of control over their life. Mm. Uh, if if someone's got a bad health issue and the doctor diagnoses it and says there's nothing you can do but take these medications, it's very disempowering. Even if a patient needs to take the medication, if you can help them and say, if you do these two or three things each day, it's going to help you. Whether it's movement or stress management or affirmations or you know, two minutes of deep breathing. What it does, people feel as though they've got a sense of control. Oh, you know, I can do these things, which is going to help the way that my life goes. It is so, so important. And I agree, being, not being a victim, you know, and and we've all, we're all guilty of negative self-talk. Oh, why does that always happen to me? Oh, this always happens like this when it's my turn for a job interview. You know, this is negativity that actually never helps And if you start to reframe things, you put yourself in the driver's seat of your life Mm. rather than the passenger seat, which is what we all want, really. Mm. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) You write that the brain is plastic. So having these micro stress doses will actually change your brain and make the amygdala uh, bigger, which will um, give you even more stress. Yeah. But 
when you start to change your life and when you start to reframe and work with affirmation, gratefulness and stuff, will the change of the brain, I mean, since it's plastic, will it go back to, uh, I mean, is there any advantages for the brain when you have, when you do these changes? Yeah, you've got to remember that your brain is always responding to the signals you give it, right? Our brain is super clever, right? Mm-hmm. So if if you're giving it signals that you're in a stressed out state every day, it's going to adapt to that. And we know parts of your brain change in size. Like we know that with certain stresses, the hippocampus, which is the memory center of the brain, can get bigger or smaller depending on what you do. I mean, mm-hmm. your brain is literally changing its structure based upon what you do. So it works both ways, you know, and I mentioned that with um, pleasure, right? I said, regularly doing things you love makes you more resilient to stress, it changes your brain. But actually, chronically being stressed changes the structure in your brain. You find it harder to experience pleasure in day-to-day things. Uh, We know the region of your brain called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which helps you to uh, make decisions, make good rational decisions. When you're chronically stressed, that part of the brain starts to get smaller. Mm. in particular work stress. But again, you can train that by doing various things that, you know, one of the things that can really help train the brain is something called delayed gratification, Mm. right? So this is this idea that in society now, we never have to wait for anything. Like Mm. you have a problem, you Google it straight away. Um, You want to buy something, you don't have to wait till the weekend and go to the shop. You just go on Amazon and something gets delivered the next day. Is that same here in Sweden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the point is, is that, and my cousin, who's like in his twenties, phoned me about a year ago, and he said to me, "Hey, mate, look, I'm just so impatient of everything. I like, if I don't get something straight away, I get really frustrated. Mm-hmm. TV shows, right? When I was a kid, you'd watch it one week, you had to wait a week for the next episode. Yeah. Now you binge watch the whole thing in one night if you want, mm-hmm. right? So we've lost that ability to delay gratification." And it affects your health. We know that. We know that people who can delay gratification have better success in life, happier lives, more productive lives. They earn more money. People who are able to delay gratification. It's a very, very important skill. And we can do that. Look, technology's here. It's not going anywhere, right? But we can do things. So playing a musical instrument, for example, helps you to delay gratification. Playing chess, playing board games, learning a sport, all these things help your brain to have to wait for that reward. Mm. Um, And it's something, since I researched the book and wrote it, I have consciously made more of an effort in the evenings and weekends to do things like play chess, play board games. Mm. And you know, Lena, what's so interesting is that this is the kind of stuff we all used to do 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. That's That's the crazy thing. That's what was life. Exactly. So in some ways... I'm not saying anything new. I'm just reminding us of what life was like only 15, 20 years ago Mm. and how quickly and rapidly it's changed Mm. and why we're in a sick society where everyone's exhausted, stressed out, burnt out, tired, uh, having problems in their relationships. Like half the time, relationship problems come from the fact that we're stressed out. So we're not living our best life. So we take it out on our partner or it leads to a problem. It's so, so common. And little things, like one of, there, there is a whole section on relationships in the book because the funny thing about relationships is that having good, close, nourishing relationships helps to make you more resilient to stress. But at the same time, having too much stress in your life makes it hard to maintain 
those mm. loving, nourishing relationships. And I think the relationships section in the book is probably my favorite, if I had to choose, probably mm. my favorite. And I talk about the importance of touch. I talk about the importance of friendship um, and, you know, all kinds of things to do Look with relationships. Look in the eyes. Yeah, well, this, I was going to say, there's yeah. a... Um, one of one of one of the big hits, um, certainly with the UK audience from this, that I have something called the 3D greeting. Mm. Right. So this is the idea. Greet your partner in three dimensions. Right. Now, what does that mean? Okay, it's something so simple. It's like the whole idea is that many of us, like you've got kids, right? How old are your kids? Twelve and ten. Twelve and ten. Okay. So mine are a little bit younger, nine and seven. Right. But you can certainly in the week, there can be times when I hardly would see my wife. Like we would see each other, but we're almost like passing ships Mm. because we're trying to get the kids ready. We're trying to get out to work, trying to drop them where they need to be dropped to. And actually, we're not spending any quality time together. So the 3D greeting is when you greet someone for about 15 seconds in three dimensions with eyes, with touch and with voice. It sounds so simple. So this is something my wife and I do. Like even if we're busy for 15 seconds in the morning, We'll hug, look each other in the eye and say something nice to each other. That sounds Mm. a bit forced, but I can tell you when you start regularly doing that, it starts to change other aspects of your relationship. Mm. makes a big difference. And actually quite a few, I've got it, it's it's typically women who contact me to say this, a a few people have contacted me a lot to say, you know what, I started doing the 3D greeting with my husband. He doesn't know I'm doing it, but he's completely changed with Mm. me. He's like, friendlier he's more loving he's more affectionate so we're always responding to those signals so sometimes we have to force ourselves as a routine to do these things but you know when my wife and I do that regularly we feel closer we feel more connected there's more intimacy in the relationship Mm. because we're we're starved of that real connection and human touch these days and there's you know there's a lot of I mean obviously I don't know how long we have on the podcast but there's a, there's a there's a really nice section on human touch in the book. There's a whole chapter on it with some mm. of the most current up-to-date science on literally what human touch does to your brain. Mm. And again, for many good reasons, we become a starve. We, we become a touch-averse society. We're scared to touch. I think it's the same here uh, as it has been now in the UK and in America, where because of a lot of this inappropriate um, threatening touch, particularly like sexual misconduct, all these sort of things. A lot of people are now scared to touch other people. But human touch is fundamental. And you have touch nerve fibers that go all the way to the most primitive part of your brain. And when they get stroked, your cortisol levels go down. That's the stress hormone. Your blood pressure goes down. Levels of something called your natural killer cells. That's part of your immune system that helps to fight off viruses and infections. They go up by about 50 to 70% mm. after being touched. So it's not as if touch is something that is... Um, it's a medicine. It's basically. medicine. Mm. And I say this slightly... Uh, i interested how they translated that in Swedish, but w- the way I put it in English is you know, slightly controversial, but for many of us, you know, we know the curvy contours of our smartphone Mm. more than we know those of our partner. Mm. You know, we touch them more, which I think is quite... That's so sad. It is quite Mm. telling about society now. We touch these screens more than we touch our partners or our children. Mm. And I think it's just a useful way to go, you know what, human touch is important. And some of the research I share in the book, since I came across that research, I literally make an effort every day when I'm at home to spend five minutes a day stroking my kids, Mm. even as they get older. Because 
once you understand, and I sort of walk people through it, and really, really, it's really a lot of people say it's their favorite chapter in the book to really understand what human touch does. But you know, when you understand it, you realize that it is so important to get human touch every day. Mm. Um, but but touch on a on a wider scale in the in the USA in the NBA, the basketball league, they found that teams that touch themselves um, more at the start of the season are the ones that finish higher at the end of the season, mm. right? If you go to a restaurant and the waiter or the waitress taps you on the shoulder when they give you your bill, you tip more, right? It's incredible. Like we, the, we're just hardwired for human touch. And when we get human touch, we behave differently. Mm. Um, so, you know, for me, it's as I said before, it's about expanding the conversation about health to say it's not just food and movement. They're really important, but let's not forget passion. Let's not forget human touch. Let's not forget breathing. You know, let's not forget, you know, friendship, all this kind of stuff. And again, I don't want to, I don't want people to feel threatened. I go, oh, I have to do that. I've got to change my diet. I've got to go to the gym. I've got to now touch people. I've got to, you know, it's not meant to be a stress. Once you understand how easy it is to change these things, like that 3D greeting with your partner, 15 seconds a day, right? It's just a habit now. Um, and again, if someone's listening to this and they're skeptical, right? I challenge you, try the 3D greeting with your partner or with a friend who you feel close to or a child for a few days and just watch how your relationship changes. You don't feel any different? Fine, throw it out. But I almost guarantee that you will start to feel a difference. Mm -hmm. And the thing with touch is it doesn't just affect the other person. We also feel a benefit when uh, we touch someone else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you own a pet, you will know that feeling. Yeah, if you stroke your dog, your dog gets the benefits, but the, the... the giver of the touch also gets a reduction in their stress hormones and a reduction in their blood pressure and their heart rates. You know, we are hardwired for human touch. Mm. Yeah. Uh, talking about that, there are so many, if if you listen to this and feel that there are so much I need to do, I don't do anything of this. I have a poor diet. I don't even exercise. I Everything with meditation, affirmation, uh, is nothing I've ever done practiced where should i start i mean the good thing about you just have to start somewhere and do yeah. something little uh, because then if you start with this 3d uh, greeting for example the positive effects it's that it will it put you in the right direction so then you will continue to take small yeah. steps and when you don't feel so much uh, stress anymore it's easier to uh, yeah. to choose the right diet uh, or to finally go to the gym or go out for a walk? Yeah. The, the, look, Lena, it's such a good point, this, because the last thing I want is people to go, oh, there's too much to do, so I'm going to do nothing, which is very, very common. What we're talking about and what I write about in the book, I give lots of options, just options. I don't do everything in the book. I mean, I, I'm very passionate that I sort of try and I don't want to be a hypocrite. I live and breathe what I write about, what I talk to my patients. I try and follow as much as possible. But I am a busy parent with a busy job, um, just like everyone else. I don't think I'm any busier than anyone else. I think everyone's busy these days. The key thing, if you want to make a new behavior, stick in the long term. You've got to start small. But you just have to start small. All the research shows us that if we make it too big, we will do it for a week or two, and then life will get in the way and we'll fall off the wagon. Right? Mm. This is what commonly happens. Pick one thing that you heard in this podcast today that you thought, 
yeah, you know what? I think I could do that. Pick one thing, forget the others, and just start there. And try and find somewhere in your day that you can make it routine. Rather than saying, I'll do it when I have time, have a fixed time in your day. So I'm, I would say I'm a huge fan of morning routines because I think if you spend even five minutes on those three M's in the morning, I think it will set you up for a much better day and you'll, and you'll start to do a lot of the other things without even thinking about it. Uh, so that would be my challenge to someone. And again, why I love that, I'm traveling at the moment, right? So, but I have a routine that when I wake up, I do my routine before anything else. I'm in a hotel in Stockholm at the moment. I woke up this morning. First thing I did was my three M's, right? Mm-hmm. I do it before I do anything else. So I can't use travel now as an excuse because I have a wake-up time every morning. So if I stick on the new habit to my wake-up time, it means it's going to happen every day or almost every day. So mm-hmm. that would be my tip. Start small, pick one thing and reassess after a week. I couldn't said it better myself perfect thank you so much and i could also say that i actually recommend everyone that uh, find this interesting to buy stress balansen it's it's a really really practical book if you need changes in your life thank you so much it was such a pleasure to to meet you again and to listen to all your advices yeah thanks so much for having me guys i really appreciate coming back it feels like home being back in stockholm and hanging out (laughs) with you guys in this room again so thanks so much thank you Wow, what an interview. I love spending time with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. And I know that I didn't say a single word in that interview, but I was in the room too. I mean, you can always just sense his energy. Yeah. He's such a nice and humble person. Mm. And uh, you just like to be around him, basically, because yeah. he's so uh, he's so de-stressed. <laughs> yeah, he is. For and sure. uh, he's a great ambassador for what he what he um, talks about. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think so too. But Lena, before we say goodbye, mm-hmm. should we tell our English-speaking listeners something about our plans, our future plans? When it comes to what? When it comes to us planning to launch an English podcast. Hmm. Or is it too early? I, I would say I think it's too early. Oh, then we have a problem because I just told everyone. <laughs> okay. So uh, if you wait for something good, yeah, you can't wait for too long. Is that true? <laughs> true. <laughs> so let's come back to that. <laughs> We will soon tell you about this big secret. That's not longer a secret. <laughs> in in uh, on our Instagram. Yeah. So keep following us there. Yeah. And thank you for today. Have a great week. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Lina Natby and Mia Klase, and of course today's special guest, Dr. Chatterjee. My name is Sebastian Ring and I'm doing the editing and the music. 
You can always find us at foodpharmacy.se and our name on Instagram is food underscore pharmacy. Bye bye.